Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Collings. Uh, today's topic, today's theme, as you can probably tell by the title of this video, is going to be, Is Constructive Criticism in Wrestling Dead? Um, and it's a it's a big topic. It's a topic that I've thought a lot about. Joining me today, who better to discuss this topic than a man who has many, many, many criticisms and he offers them every week on the flagship wrestling podcast and the related flagship wrestling Patreon page. Returning to the show, it's Joe Lanza. Joseph, how are you? I think I'm the Alec Baldwin of this podcast. It's not that I've ever shot a person and killed them, but that we I know hope, of. Well, listen. You're from awful. New Jersey, so that's a that's that's like a I'm already like halfway to believing that you killed somebody. From New Jersey, mysteriously shuffled off yeah, to right. uh, flyover country. Uh, you know, so you never know. But Tyson, I believe I am the Alec Baldwin of this podcast. In that, I believe this now makes me the most frequent guest of this podcast. Much like Alec Baldwin is the most frequent host of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Steve Martin has actually been on this podcast five times, so you got a little bit to catch up to Steve Martin. All right, so I got to catch Steve Martin and probably like John Goodman, right? Those would be my uh. Uh, it's Tom Hanks, um, Steve Martin, it's John Goodman. Do he, he host SNL a lot? He's one of the top. Yeah, is he? I don't really? know if he's the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't really watching SNL when John Goodman was at like the peak of his 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 television popularity. Um. Oh, but, but you were when Steve Martin was? I know Steve Martin's like famous for being on SNL a lot. And Steve Martin's, I think, had like a consistent run of fame in a way that John, not that John Goodman has like fallen off the face of the earth. He's always kind of been working. But I feel like Steve Martin, like Steve Martin, like was in like when I was a kid, like Steve Martin was in, you know, Cheaper by the Dozen um, and like movies that like I would watch as a kid. John Goodman was like this sitcom guy from like a, a generation prior. You know, uh, Steve Martin has ho- he he hosted Saturday Night Live so many times that a lot of people just assume he was an early cast member. But that's not true. Just a frequent host. But well, well, am of, I indeed the record holder of appearances here? I, I, answer I mean, the question. if you don't if you don't count former co-host Jason Unpresser, then you def then ah, uh, this is, is that's this a host. This, yeah, this is so this is your third time on the pod. Yes. Um. Yeah, I think that's gonna make you the the most. I think you you you've surpassed uh, Adam Berger as a as a as a uh, as a special guest on the show. Um, well, all I could say is eat shit, Berger. Yeah, um, that's a that's, I could work I could work blue here, right? Yeah, yeah, you can work blue. I mean, unless the 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 eggheads at the uh, the the censors at the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, down on well on, on your excessive use of language, I, which I've been rumored to hear might be a problem. I I I think I know the people in charge, so I think we're okay. 
Joe, do you know you were accused of being my boss uh, earlier? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't uh, pay super close attention to all that scuttlebutt, but um, yeah, I, I, I did hear that was one of the accusations. Yes. So, um, have you gotten all of your work done today? <laughs> yes, I, uh, I've been, I've been hard at work. I've been, uh, make. I have to when I get when I take my my PTO time. I've got to clear it with with Joe first. Um, yes. What what are other things bosses do? I can't even. I have like a boss at work, but I have like seven bosses and like my normal boss I work with is just a middle management. So they, they don't really have that much control. And then like the boss above them has a little bit more. And then the boss above them has like more control, but I don't even know who they are. So I don't really know what bosses do, if I'm being honest. Well, one thing they do is pay you, but Rich handles that part of it. So you go see him. Yeah. That's uh that's thing. Anyway, let's let's get back to I'm gonna get back to the task at hand here, which is um criticism in wrestling. And you know, this started kind of spinning off of our the last episode that I did. I had um Hey Slow on the show when we kind of talked about uh where is wrestling headed and where are some of the trends that exist in current wrestling that are impacting um our wrestling and kind of not as much on the podcast, but in a lot of the feedback that I was, you know, listening to from people who had listened to the show. And I appreciate all the positive feedback and all the nice things that people have said about that episode. And if you're interested in it and you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend uh, you check that out and find that right here uh, on anywhere you're getting this podcast from. Uh, But a lot of it was centered kind of around the, the prominence of critical voices in pro wrestling. And if we are currently able to hold pro wrestling to a fair and honest standard, and part of that is 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 the idea of constructive criticism dead and i and i definitely don't want to say is criticism dead in pro wrestling because that is not true at all criticism is alive and well and it is everywhere you look but so much of that criticism is either bad faith actively or dismissed as bad faith by people who don't want to hear it and is the idea of someone being honest and being able to share negative thoughts about whether a show, uh, a wrestler, a match, a promo, any aspect of pro wrestling. And is the critic does the, the the constructive criticism, criticism in good faith, criticism aimed at hoping to improve the product or give other view, uh, you know fans insights on what what could be improved about a product is that gone and i think there are a lot of aspects not just in pro wrestling but in our culture that have nullified the impact of constructive criticism and have also prevented people from making that constructive criticism and i think it's especially apparent in wrestling and i wanted to bring you on joe because Obviously, you review Dynamite every week in your TV reviews um, on the flagship wrestling Patreon page. You know, you and Rich review many different wrestling shows and many different wrestlers each week on the flagship wrestling podcast. And so you've experienced firsthand a lot of, you know, the back, whether it's backlash to your criticism, people, you know, canceling their subscriptions to your product if they're upset about some of the criticisms that you've made feedback from talent or other uh you know promoters other people may be upset about your criticism and kind of i'd love to hear some you kind of elaborate more in your perspective on being someone who is out here making criticisms in your reviews in good faith 
and kind of receiving kind of pushback from from what you feel like have been honest criticisms of something yeah i mean i don't i i i don't think about it i just let it fly and i say what i think and as long as i just try to ensure that i'm being fair that's all if i'm being fair and the way i look at it is if the person i'm criticizing were to challenge me personally on what I'm saying about them or what they're creating. Can I defend myself? And that's kind of how I weigh it. You, you can't just, I, I don't want to be a hot take machine. People see right through that. But as long as my criticisms are fair and they're reasonable minded, and I feel like if the person I'm criticizing came at me, I could defend myself, then I feel like I, at that point, I'm not concerned with whether I offend them or offend the sensibilities of fans or listeners. I feel like my job is to just give fair and honest criticism of the things that I watch. That's it. And that's how I approach it. And you're right. There have been instances where listeners have stopped listening to our podcast or flat out told us that they were canceling a subscription. <coughs> Excuse me. And there have been instances where I've had wrestlers and promoters and some of the most powerful people in wrestling uh, confront me over things that I've said or written. And, you know, it, it, it's like I just said to you, I you know, I've had back and forth with some people in the industry over things that I've said. And um, as long as I feel like I'm being fair, then the listeners, that's going to, you know, the listener, the listener is number one. I, I'm not concerned with people inside the industry not liking me. I'm not concerned with people inside the industry being mad at me. I'm concerned with giving a product to my listeners. And as we've evolved, as the flagship has evolved, to my paying customers. It's my only concern. And what they're listening for and what they're paying for are honest, genuine, well thought out, and uh, coming from a place of good faith. That's all they want. So I can't be concerned with which promoter is annoyed with me this week, which wrestler hates my guts is going to subtweet me on Twitter. That is never my concern. It's not my concern. And it's not super easy. Because I know that there's people inside the industry that listen to my content. I, I, I know that. I know there's people inside the industry that that read the website, read things that I've written. Um, and I and I and I and I and it's it's I don't consciously think about whether someone is going to hear the criticisms I'm making towards them, right? But if if I know there's certain people within the industry who are going to listen. Am I subconsciously softening some of my takes? If I'm being honest with myself, I probably am. I mean, I think that's just human nature, right? But the one thing I'll never do is give a false take or or sugarcoat something or say that I like something that I don't. That I've never done. I can honestly say I've never done that. But... um I'm not even sure if I'm answering your question, but that's that's sort of how I approach criticism and how I approach my job every week 
on the flagship and how I approach any review that I do in writing or on audio. Yeah, I think like when you talk about like softening a take, I think that's like natural human nature. And I definitely feel the way if I am, whether it's in audio or written form, if I am giving out a take that I know personally, whether it's people I know in real life or it's people I know from from chatting about online, I know that there are people out there that strongly disagree with me. I will pr probably throw in caveats to argue kind of on their behalf on uh, on why they might disagree with me in that sense and i don't know if people are listening i used to write when i used to write for wrestling inc and i knew we would I, i've written some pieces before that i would get feedback from directly from the people who i was writing about it heard from kurt angle i heard from aj styles um and and those were kind of you know interesting because it's like okay this person is reading what I say, um, I don't know if they're valuing it, or they're just oh they saw a link with their name on it, they clicked on it but it definitely makes you inherently kind of change what you're going to say if you know someone is actually going to read it but at the same time, you mentioned like honesty, and I guess I don't want to like stand on a pedestal. And I don't want, and I know you don't want to stand on a pedestal either of the sense of we're honest and nobody else is because that's not true. But I often think that like the only way for me to do this job is to be honest with my thoughts because it would become very boring if I had to lie about something or pretend that something was great when I thought it was bad or vice versa, pretend something is bad when I actually thought it was great. Um, and the only way for this to be entertaining for me would be to be just fully honest. It would be very boring to have to like sugarcoat something and and pretend that something is great and be one of those Twitter accounts that just tweets about how everything is great all of the time with the product that I'm watching when I know that's not true. Um, that would be extremely boring for me. And I I find like the honesty aspect of it is the most compelling aspect of like criticism or if you're reviewing something or anything like that because you can disagree with somebody but that honesty sets a standard for whether someone can be trusted or not in terms of their opinion and if you joe start if you if you were very honest about how much you don't like a wrestler and then one day you admit that you know what this person has won me over with their consistent performances that means something in a way that the person who just says everything is great all the time doesn't. Yeah. And those are often the people you need to look for in terms of to notice if something significant is actually happening. If you're getting somebody who has been kind of critical of a wrestler or of a product to say that something is good, that means you know something really good is going to happen as opposed to if you were to go onto one of those Twitter accounts or columnists who just, you know, give everything five stars all the time. That means nothing because they think everything is great, but you set a certain standard of integrity for yourself. If you're going to be honest and you're going to be willing to be critical of something. Yeah. You can't, I say this all the time, but you can't dig your heels in. You have to be flexible because the opposite is true as well. You're saying you can't be somebody who just, you know, uh, loves everything. You can't be 
the person who's totally inflexible on their opinions because things change and your opinions have to change with those things. You know, there, there's been plenty of wrestlers over the years doing this 12 years where I wasn't a fan of their work and their work evolved and my opinion changed or maybe my taste changed or maybe I'm viewing their work through a different lens or understanding what they're trying to do better. So you can't dig your heels in and that doesn't mean you know, you can't also be someone who constantly flip-flops with their opinion. But I think, you know, once you establish an audience and they know your likes and your dislikes and they listen to you enough, I think they understand the difference between being flexible in your opinions and being someone who's just going to say whatever's going to work, you know, for that week's audio. And, you know, there's times where, you know, getting back to criticism, there's times where I criticize a wrestler or a promotion or a show. And I know as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm going to hear from the person. And Rich, Rich Crate will back me up on that because there's times where we'll do a flagship or I'll post a piece of audio and I'll tell him, I'll say, Rich, you're going to hear from so-and-so this week. They might come at you because they don't know how to come at me anymore because I'm not on the Twitter account. And, you know, almost every time that's the case. I can feel it in my bones when I know someone's going to hear what I said and come at me. But again, you can't let that, you can't let that give you pause. You got to let it fly. And again, the key is to just know you're being fair with the opinion and knowing that if you're challenged, you can at least intelligently back it up. Nobody likes to be criticized. Nobody likes to be told that their work stinks, okay? But as long as you can give viable reasons, and, and that's always the way I approach it. If I'm challenged, can I back this opinion up? And then if I can, I'm letting it fly. And, uh, you know, I, I almost every time I can tell you when they're going to come, you know, because I know who's listening, and I know what it is that's going to set them off. But, yeah, you, you do have – I think being flexible is very important. You can't and, be, because that's another thing that the audience sees through. Yeah. And in our take culture, I just think in general, there's an obsession with being, there's an obsession with being right and being wrong. And yeah, yeah. it's, it's that, that, that idea is very ignorant of the idea that, like you said, wrestling changes. A wrestler can improve. A storyline can improve. Uh, a promotion can improve. It can also, all those things can also decline. It's, it's, it's a fluid situation and there's always kind of this, you know, the person ha you have to be the first person to be right. And you have to be the first person, uh, to be, and if you're the first person wrong about something, people will come at you. Like, for instance, I have been adamant for a long time that as a drawing card, Roman Reigns has been disappointing throughout his career. That despite the fact that he has been pushed above everyone else for years and years and years, he has not been a real difference maker from a drawing perspective in WWE. Over the past year, uh, that has changed um, in that there is a lot more evidence to suggest that Roman Reigns and the bloodline angle and what they're doing, what they did with Sami Zayn and, and Cody and, and obviously the big rating that they got on SmackDown on Friday night um, suggests that you know people are really interested in this and that Roman Reigns is proving to be kind of a draw. Um, but, and then you start, you start seeing this retroactive idea of like, oh, all those people who said Roman wasn't a draw, what are they saying now? And it's like, well, he wasn't a draw and now he is. That happens yeah. in wrestling. Yeah. 
Both those things can be true. He could be have been a disappointing draw in 2018 and 2019. And he could be a very impressive draw right now in 2023. Hulk Hogan was a huge draw in 1987, and he was a disappointing draw in 1993. Um but it's the that, that's just an example with this idea of like you got to be first to be given out a take and you have to stay on that take forever. Um, right, right. And they're this, you got to dig your heels in. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. And, and then there are the stands that will be the first people to remind you, oh, you were so wrong about this. And it's like, you, well, know, you know, it's funny, though, when, when your counter is like, like you just laid out with Roman when you're like, no, you know, you're right now. Whatever the thing is, you're right now. That was a good match. Or you're right. This person's a draw now. That kind of ends it. <laughs> you know, they, they want the, yeah. the flesh. They want me to be like, no, 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 he's not a draw. It's Cody. It's, it's Sammy. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, they're, they're lying. Nielsen is making up the numbers or whatever. Uh, it, it, but it's like, no, like I can, wh why can't I change? I can change my opinion based on empirical evidence. And I'm not even changing my opinion. I'm seeing something that's happening now. It doesn't change my opinion in the past. Um, but I think just as an example, I think I think it's true with like wrestling talent, which is like if you're critical of like, oh, I don't know if AEW should have signed this wrestler. And then a year later, you're like, you know, that wrestler's flourishing. People might be like, oh, you never wanted that person in the company. It's like, well, I didn't at the time, and they have proven me wrong. Right. Um yeah. you have to be willing to do that. And I'm gonna tell you another thing, and this is this is the the truth, and I think. You know, a lot of people may not realize this. Nobody cares if you're wrong. Okay? The only thing people care about, and I'm talking about good faith people who enjoy whatever it is you produce, your writing, your audio. They care that you're coming from a well-informed and honest place. That's it. They don't care if you're wrong. They don't care if your predictions on who's going to win a bunch of matches on a pay-per-view are all incorrect. They don't care if you guess that a show is going to sell out and it, it it does terrible. They care that you're coming from a well-informed place. And if you're coming from a well-informed place and you're good at this and you understand wrestling, you're going to be right more than you're wrong. Okay. But they, the, the listener really doesn't care whether you're right. You know, a lot of our listeners, yeah, they want to stick it to us and, and, and poke the bear because they like to have fun with us. But your, your normal rank and file listener probably doesn't remember half of the things I predicted last week on the show. They don't remember and they don't care. So I do think though, some people feel like they have to be right in order to stake their flag and in wrestling media or make a name for themselves. And, and, and you're right. There is sort of this, I think people feel pressure to be right all of the time or to dig their heels in and defend a stance forever. And again, those are things that people eventually will see through and they're going to see you as a fraud. You, you just, you, you can't dig your heels in. You can't have the same stances forever. It really just always boils down to being honest with your audience. And obviously like Jim Cornette is like the perfect example of somebody who dug their heels in on a certain idea and has you know obviously turned it into like a character or bit that he's done on his show but has really done um i know his show is still extremely popular but has really done a lot of damage to his, his the his public image and the idea that he is a trustworthy source 
for critical insights because it's pretty much understood in intelligent committees, community intelligent communities that his critical, you know, evaluations of like AEW and the Young Bucks and the Elite are entirely compromised by his refusal to admit, uh, you know, certain successful uh, aspects of those those of those wrestlers and, and that wrestling, their wrestling careers in the company. Um, and it has that, that lack of, uh, being able to just admit that he was wrong has really, I think like destroyed his, his image as someone's reputation is, yeah. what you're saying, his reputation has been ruined. It has been, you know, he might have the number one wrestling podcast in the world, uh, playing to that crowd, a very, low common denominator crowd that he plays to and that's what they are and that's fine but he has absolutely damaged his reputation with uh with with a lot of wrestling fans a lot of smart wrestling fans who see him as a fraud who's just going to play to a crowd and that's kind of the things that we've been talking about here which will damage your reputation um i suppose you can take those kind of routes as kind of a shortcut to uh, whatever you consider success in, you know, podcasting or, you know, predominantly podcasting, but podcasting or writing or any kind of media creation. But at the same time, a lot of the people who take that path to skip the line already had inherent advantages because they were, they already had a name. It's your, it's your uh, Jim Cornette's, your Eric Bischoff's, uh, your Vince Russo, Vince Russo. Now, amazingly, this guy was on national TV for years and had a name in wrestling, and he he struggles to succeed <laughs> in the podcast uh, space. You know, he's just he's he, you know he just he doesn't he's he he's he's an anomaly in that he has the same game plan as these other guys, but he's just consistently so bad at it that he barely has an audience. But you get the idea, you know, your Bischoffs and your Cornets and your and your people like that, um, you know, Bruce Pritchard, all of these guys who. Um, you know, are, are dishonest in a lot of ways in their opinions, and um, you know, it, it, it helps them on one hand, but they've all hurt their reputations to to some degree or another with different pockets of fans uh, because of it. So that's the rub. It's it's a double edged sword, and it's it's not a path. And if you if you pay attention and you study these things. It's not a path you can take if you don't already have an established name. Right. I think like, and, and to me, like, I'm not concerned about like making money or how to be famous in pro wrestling. Because to be honest, if you wanted to like get a lot of Twitter followers and have a big engagement, maybe get a podcast that a lot of people listen to, it's probably a better route to like be fake leaning one way or the other. Maybe you're the toxic positivity person that thinks everything is great. Maybe you're an AEW cynic that just rips apart AEW all the time. Those are routes to getting a lot of engagement. You know what though? Is it because when, when I, when I look at people who try that, who already weren't established as names in, in, in the wrestling business, they seem to hit hard dead ends. Cheeseboard guy. I mean, he's going nowhere. He has no audience. Brad Shepard, he has no audience. He has less, he has nothing. He's he's a total failure. Um, you know, I can go right down the line. We all know who they all are. Yeah. Right. Well, there's and there's and, a level of like charisma and entertainment value 
that comes from from certain people like one of the reasons i think jim Cornette has become is very successful doing his podcast and vince russo is not is because jim Cornette is an infinitely more interesting and charismatic person as a podcast personality than vince russo yeah at minimum jim Cornette brings an amazing memory and 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 he brings some value with you know historical conversations and things like right that. but i'm just talking as like a care like a per, like a broadcast personality yeah, yeah, um, exa- yeah exactly because jim Cornette was one of one of the biggest drawing stars in the business uh for you know a decade plus right. and he's and he was a drawing star because he was a very charismatic talk and he knows how to get over yeah. exactly and he so, knows how to convince people of certain things and to get people you know riled up about something but my point is being that I'm not that concerned like when in this in the, for this discussion, I'm not that concerned in like talking about people who have, you know, become quote unquote successful in pro wrestling. I'm more just thinking about who can who how can we continue to offer constructive criticism in an environment that seems hesitant to receive it, both from wrestlers and from fans. And I do think like if you were to look at like sports, you know, who are the most prominent sports personalities? Um in in right now and it is similar to um you know your pro wrestling personalities where it's people that get a lot of engagement and get people talking like skip bayless and you know um stephen a smith and 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 shannon sharp and these people but they don't really no one really takes them that seriously because they're people whether people like know it or not they view them as playing a character that's trying to say things intentionally to rile people up and there's not a level of credibility there with those people's ability to analyze anything the way there is with maybe uh you know pick your 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 more measured pundits um you know yeah. as uh, even someone like bill simmons i think has you know, more credibility than those guys, because at least whether you like Simmons or not, I don't think he's playing a bit or working a character when he's giving yeah. out a take, as opposed to Skip Bayless, I think is just saying something to try to get people riled up. Right. What's going to get him the most attention. And again, that's, the, that's sort of the thing that we just talked about with the Cornette types. You could do that to skip the line, but at the expense of your reputation, mm-hmm. because now nobody takes your opinion seriously. So if that's the trade-off you want to make, I suppose you can make that trade off. Right. And, and those people cannot offer constructive criticism. No, those they cannot. Those yeah, people's no criticism, those people's criticisms don't seem to have any real value um, on the thing that they cover. They have entertainment value because people will tune in and they'll laugh at the circus clown, but they're not, but that what they say doesn't really have that much real value to, and sycophants will agree with them, but it doesn't have any real impactful value. And it's a risk if you want to succeed and get anywhere in whatever your area of punditry is, because uh, you, you could you could be Skip Bayless and get multi-million dollar contracts because there's a certain charisma there. Or you could be like some of the people we just talked about in wrestling who attempt that. And not only do they not get anywhere with with their careers, but they kill their reputations as well. They get the they only get one side of that sword that we talked about. And now you're fucked. Now nobody respects you and you're making zero dollars. So there is a risk. I mean, you you can take that path if you want to try to jump the line, but without question, your reputation is going to be destroyed. And it's still a gamble as to whether you're going to quote unquote make it or not. And nobody is going to take that tact without wanting to make it. That's the end game. If you're going to take that path. 
because there's no other reason to make a buffoon of yourself and destroy your reputation unless you think that there's a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Just to switch gears for a second, do you think that Dave Meltzer gives less like constructive criticism than he used to? I think Dave Meltzer's criticism is rooted in whether the thing he's criticizing is financially successful or not. And I think that's where people get real frustrated with Dave, but he has a lot of, and I'm not talking about his star ratings. Nobody cares. No. Yeah. That's not that I'm worried. And I know that's not what you're talking about either. Yeah. That's something completely different. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly care less. Um, but I think his his criticism in booking and promos and direction and things of that, that nature are all rooted in business because that's how his brain and his mind works. And that's how he was taught by the Bill Watts and the Roy Shires and the Terry Funks and, you know, uh, the, the, the Paul Boches and all the people that and the Luthes and all these people that he was friends with or had close professional relationships with, that's how they all viewed the business. So I think that's what frustrates people sometimes because if something is working and business is good, Dave is far more likely to overlook or not criticize stuff that he personally doesn't like. Because to him, in his brain, that's immaterial. It's working and it's making money. And the point of this business is to make money. So what does it matter whether it's appealing to me or not? Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And I would I would add that I think that the the modern wrestling business with the guaranteed television deals and the guaranteed streaming rights with with Peacock, if you're WWE, all these lucrative deals that are um, the way companies make money, which is not based around selling pay per views or selling you know uh, tickets to live events. Really, uh, I think in some ways has kind of changed dave's uh perspective on what what and when to be critical of something in a way that didn't exist years ago when the business was i think more traditional in the sense of how they made money and i think that has impacted uh his constructive criticism i think if you go back and read you know an observer from the monday night war era and if he's talking about you know decisions that wcw made decisions that wwf made he shares a lot of insight and perception into what he thinks is going to happen because of these decisions. And I think now he's way more reluctant to do that because he knows that whether, you know, AW or certainly WWE makes a big mistake in uh, maybe a booking decision or something like that, or there's a bad finish to a show. He knows that that's not really going to doom them because they have all these guaranteed, you know, big money deals. And that has led to, I think, maybe a more um, like kind of mild Dave Meltzer where he's a little bit more hesitant to really see something as a big mistake because ultimately nothing is a big mistake because all the money is guaranteed. Right. I think if if you got Dave in a room and, and had a conversation with him, he would tell you that he enjoys AEW's programming and AEW's matches more than he enjoys WWE's programming and matches and angles and storylines. But he's certainly these days, he's more critical of AEW's product. And that's because WWE is doing very well right now in terms of ratings and selling tickets. And AEW is not doing as well. 
especially compared year over year and, and, and all of those things. So the way that his analysis works and the way that he feels he needs to serve his customers and the way that he's been doing things for 40 years is to be more critical of AEW <clears throat> to examine, figure out, dissect why their business is kind of in a holding pattern. And he's not as concerned with what's going on on screen with WWE because in his mind, it's working because business is good. But I think if he were to give you just what he thinks, what what what's entertaining him more, just based on what I know his sensibilities are, he would tell you he, he probably enjoys AEW a lot more than he enjoys WWE. But he's not going to approach his criticism that way because that's not the way he's ever done his job. Yeah, I, but I, I think even if you were to go back like three or four years ago where WWE's business was declining in a lot of different metrics, um, he would still be you know, way less, I think, critical of their booking than he was of like WCW in like 1998. Go back and read an observer from that era and he will be right on top of it. Like, you know, you know they, they, he, you know, you can go back and read like, you know, when they beat Bill Goldberg, when they, you know, did the Georgia Dome show between Goldberg and Hogan on like a six day build. Um, he's critical of those things, even though those were all successful events and WCW was still hugely successful. He was like, these are negative things that are going to come back and hurt the company. And he was hundred percent correct. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think um, the fact that WWE could afford to make numerous mistakes in the late 20, you know, 2010s, um, he, he just, you know, accepted that these mistakes could be made because the business is idiot proof. Um, and I think that, kind of is a is another aspect of this where you know dave is easily i think the most um established and impactful uh critic in in all of pro wrestling and i think he's been largely not largely but he's been partially um i don't want to say like muzzled or nullified but i think the way the business is has kind of kept him from i think being as constructively critical as he has been historically. And I think that's a loss to the pro wrestling industry. Yeah, I, I agree with that from the standpoint you're coming from. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do agree with that. And I think um, I wanted to mention like who, what, what happens now if you're critical of something? Uh, and the two, there's two aspects of this that are in play. The first is, is that a lot of wrestling fans don't want to hear criticism. They just don't. And the other fact it, factor is wrestlers themselves are extremely sensitive to criticism. Not every single wrestler is extremely sensitive to criticism, but many are, even the ones that say that they're not. You know, especially the ones that say that they're not. Yeah. Um, and I think that all plays into this environment, especially on social media, that deters a lot of people from making criticisms. Because if you say something negative and the wrong person gets a hold of it, it can be a very unpleasant experience for, for you. If I if I were to give out a take, um, this is not my actual take, I want to clarify that. Um, but like if I were to give out a take where I said, you know what, Mercedes Monet, Super overrated, bad wrestler. I never want to see her wrestle again. And 
the you know whether it, it was a, a stan account got a hold of that and retweeted it to me you know to all their followers and i would just get a blasted online that would be very unpleasant for me uh and that that the, the possibility of that would deter me from making that take even if i felt like that was an honest criticism um and the worst case scenario would be that mercedes herself would like retweet it and say like can't you believe what this guy's saying and then all of her you know 10 million followers or whatever would go after me um and i just think that kind of environment keeps people from voicing their honest opinions and that's not necessarily a healthy aspect of the pro wrestling business because I think it nullifies criticism. I think it prevents people from getting better. I think it creates a hive mind where people believe something that maybe isn't even true because no one's afraid to actually speak the truth about it. Um, and it's in a negative experience for, I think, the industry in general. And it starts with, I think, you know, wrestlers being very sensitive and fans of wrestlers you know, being aggressive in defending their fandom against all forms of criticism, even ones that are made in good faith. Yeah, I mean, obviously tribalism is real and it's at a fever pitch right now with WWE and AEW. But I I, I don't know how much um, fans have changed over the years because I think this is the first time we've had a scenario like this in the social media age where it's more obvious and blatant. Um, I don't have any doubt that this sort of thing would have existed during the Monday Night War. I have don't have any doubt that it would have existed during the peak Noah versus New Japan, which actually that, that was the early stages of the internet, and I, I saw it. I mean, it was contained to message boards, but it was nasty, and it was tribalistic, and it was, um, and it would have been just as bad had you know, Twitter existed at that time and, and you could go right down the line. Um, so I think it's just exemplified now with social media and especially Twitter. And, and you're right. It does make it hard. It does stifle criticism to some degree because there's undoubtedly people who would rather either uh, hold in a take or express it on another medium rather than to put it out there on social media because of the blowback they're going to get just isn't worth it to either their time or their energy or their mental health or for, you know, their safety in some cases. I mean, let's be honest. Um, so, so you are right from that standpoint. Um, but I mean, this is just really just a long convoluted way for both of us to say that, you know, I can't, you know, your phone should be like Rich likes to say, your phone should be thrown into the sea and you should just delete Twitter. I mean, um, we're long past the point of, you know, I don't want to do a whole Twitter thing, but we're long past the point of Twitter being, you know, the world's town square where people are going to have civil conversations. I mean, that has long since it's a failed social experiment. I mean, I understand that was the idea and it was noble, but it doesn't work. And when you have things that are tribalistic, like pro wrestling, and it's not just, you see it everywhere. I mean, you know, um, uh, Apple versus Android, you know, or or from another era, Xbox versus PlayStation. You know, you, you go right down the line and, and any uh, anything that involves a fandom, 
and you're going to see these sorts of things. And does it cause people to be hesitant to pull the trigger on fair criticism? I think you're absolutely right. Of course it does. There's no way to argue that it doesn't. Does that mean that criticism is dead or dying? I don't know. I just think that social media is new to all of us and we've all kind of been here for the evolution of it. And I think we're all just learning how to use it differently and how not to use it and how to use it. And, you know, we were the guinea pigs. And there's generations coming up behind us who are going to be born into it or have been born into it. And um, hopefully they'll understand how to use it smarter and better. But um, I'm not hopeful of that. I think I've heard... I just think it's inherently, I think inherently it's just bad and can't be good from the standpoint of criticism. Yeah, I'm talking. I've, I've heard. Just, I don't think it can be good. I've heard people, um, you know, say say exactly what you said about, you know, this is the first time we've had real tribalism in wrestling with the social media age, and it's it would be just you know like this if we had Twitter, you know, during the Monday Night War era, Noah, New Japan, eighties territory wars, whatever. Yeah, Crockett versus McMahon. Yeah. You know, just go ahead and name and, it. And that that is true. Um, I believe that if we did have internet during that time period, that that would be the case. I do think that like it's just but it's not enough to say that because I think all of our opinions and our, our, our ideas of what our role is in this, you know, as as fans or as critics of the wrestling industry is entirely shaped by the internet. Like, I'm not hosting the show. I don't know who you are, Joe Lanza, without the internet. You right. don't know who I am. And I don't know what really the consensus, like, wrestling fan thought is on a lot of these different topics. All right. Well, I can't. Okay. Well, I'm older than you. And I come from, I, I vividly remember as a, as a older child and young adult, the, not totally, you know, there, there was the early version of the internet, but I mean, I, I can remember the newsletter era of hardcore wrestling fandom. And we, we might've known each other, but the communication just would have been a lot slower. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because someone would write a letter to the observer or the torch. And then someone would see it printed a week later and then they'd send a letter to respond to it. So these things were happening, the same that they're happening now. They just weren't happening instantaneously. And, you right. know, you got to know some of the personalities and the people behind, and you tape traded with these people. It was just slower. And, and, and it's a very small segment of the wrestling fandom that is doing that. Very small. And also you mostly agreed with each other because you were you were reading the same source material and you had the same... You know, you're not going to subscribe to The Observer. You know, two people who subscribed to The Observer in 1989 or 1994 or 1997, they might not agree 100% and probably won't, but they're going to have the same, they're going to have similar sensibilities mm -hmm. at minimum. Whereas when you open up 2023's version of social media, you're going to encounter people with all kinds of opposing sensibilities on things. And you're going to have that danger of the instantaneous interactions with them, which always lead down a horrible path. I say it all the time. A lot of times people are just having two different conversations with – yet they'll, they'll argue with each other for three days, totally talking past each other. Yeah. And, because you're and, coming from two different places, 
and you're legitimately having two different conversations and neither person is absorbing what the other person's saying yeah because you have totally different experiences and 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 you're coming from totally different places in the fandom and you can branch this out to to non-wrestling topics as well obviously yeah and i I think that like and that happens to me it's not just twitter happens to me on the, the the vow discord it happens to me um yeah uh, on the voices of wrestling slack channels like the most i will go back and forth with someone i disagree with is like three messages because i pretty much accept that i'm not really gonna convince this person um of what i'm saying and they're not really gonna convince me of what they're saying because we can't like you can't have this conversation via text you could just, there's a limit on how much um you can get through to somebody in that kind of form and setting and that's true across and you all lose these... the and you lose and you lose tone and you lose body language and yeah. you lose the social cues yeah. that are so vital to a conversation especially a debate mm-hmm. and that is and, and so like it's just i don't know i don't want to say it's useless but it's just kind of like a it's not an inherent it's not a great way to communicate and exchange thoughts and opinions um and that kind of goes into i think a lot of people um have this kind of i think this is culture where people uh, have their position, and if they read somebody online who has a different position, they naturally will view them as their enemy in a way that I think is to, would be totally different than if you were to meet this person in real life and have a real conversation with them. Because and not I only think, that, but they extrapolate that one person's opinion to a wider – it could right, be just but, that but, one but, person's but opinion. Let me, let me finish here. I think that – the reason people have that mentality is because there's so many trolls and bad faith people out there that it's very easy to brush any form of criticism aside as being of, oh, that's just a troll. That's a hater. And even if that person is making something in good faith and they're not a hater and they're not a troll, people will just throw them into this giant barrel because there are so many legitimate trolls and legitimate haters and legitimate bad faith actors. And that muddies the ability for people who are making honest criticisms to connect with people who um, would hear them because those people are not receptive to them because of our, our channels of communication have been largely dis- the faith in the, the channels of our communication have been destroyed by so many bad faith actors and people just looking to say stuff for engagement. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. 
You get a display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the Slap Pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great Slap Packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club Slap Packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying... Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or, wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. 
I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock. E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. No, I mean, you're dead on. I mean, uh, the one anecdotal piece that I can give you that supports that is, you know, voices of wrestling, fair or unfair, um, and uh, not even fair or unfair, fairly is seen. And when I say voice of wrestling, I mean me and Rich. The flagship, I should say more specifically, is seen as very anti-WWE. And um, because we don't like WWE and we haven't for the vast majority of the time that we've done the show. Okay. So we've earned that reputation, I suppose. And that's just the byproduct of our opinions. And that's fine. But it's funny because when I went through about a month stretch of being very critical of AEW Dynamite, when I wasn't enjoying the show at all and, you know, our reviews, my reviews would pop up on the voice of wrestling Twitter feed. It was funny because all of a sudden we were drawing replies and quote tweets from all of these AEW hardcore fans who don't really know our history, don't know our opinions, don't know who we are, haven't listened to a second of my audio, let's be honest. And they're telling us that, you know, that we're, you know, that that we're WWE fans and we're just trying to drag the show down and all the usual bullshit that you get on on social media which is hilarious you know it, it's you know you, you, i i i'm critical of dynamite for the first time in like four years you know for for a number of weeks in a row and now all of a sudden you know i'm a sasha stan who's out here giving distant like you're saying they assume the opinions are disingenuous because that's all that people see a bunch of trolls trying to get over giving disingenuous opinions so right. they and, see my little review go up with a negative title talking about how bad dynamite is. And they assume that I'm just one of these clowns who's trying to drag them down because, you know, I'm raising my fist at Roman Reigns and, you know, I'm part of the bloodline. So, and that, and that, and, and, and this is with an established, you know, decade plus long entity that I'm a part of. And I've been doing this consistently for 12 years. And I still get that sort of response from people where they just assume that I'm looking for a response. Yep, I, I felt the same way. You know, if I've if I've ever leveraged criticism towards New Japan Pro Wrestling or AEW or these companies that I've historically been extremely high on and said many many favorable things about, if I see something negative and it gets blasted out into the sea of 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 the internet, people will respond and, and people will say like, "Oh, you're just a WWE fan, or you're you know you you, know, you you're ignorant to New Japan Pro Wrestling," and I like that's hilariously untrue but it just goes to show that some people's default position is to say this person is the enemy and this person is wrong um so again though is this a is this a problem with criticism or is this a problem with social media specifically i think they go hand in hand um because i think the main way that just social media is how we communicate now it's how you communicate it's how you mass communicate trust me i work in mass communications right um 
that social media is how people communicate with one another. It's how people get information. Maybe not everyone. Older people are still watching TV news or maybe they're getting the newspaper through the mail or, or whatever. But social media is how people are getting information. It's how they're sharing information. It's how they're digesting information. And I don't really see like a distinction, I guess, between the two in this case, especially because we're talking mainly about the online wrestling community. Um, and those are people that are going to be using social media for the most part uh, to communicate with one another. Um, so wanted... what is your, what is your theory here? What is your hypothesis that um, all of the negatives and drawbacks with social media that, that we've discussed here, is is this slowly going to lead to a slow decline in criticism because people are going to be consistently more fearful to put their opinions out there? I think it already has led to a decline in constructive criticism for all the reasons that we've discussed. And now, I, you know, I think it has been because people are afraid of getting pushback on things. I think people are people who are making those criticisms are unable to reach an audience the way they used to, because people are so dismissive of criticism these days as being bad faith. Um, and that is because there are so many bad faith trolls out there. I so think is this a, is this a media argument or an argument on criticism in general? I think it's both. I think it's a media argument, but I also think it's just our general culture. Um, yeah. And our culture has shifted towards, you know, tribalism, especially on social media and the loudest voices, you know, even if it's a small percentage, you know, only, you know, was it was 13% of people have or, or have Twitter accounts and only like 1% are really active on Twitter or whatever the number is. Yeah, your uh, ratios probably aren't accurate, but we all know the point you're making. Yeah, yeah it's close. Um, you know, it's only a small amount, but it's also the loudest amount. And if you're in yeah. media, it's the people you're engaging with the most. Um, you know, if I, I, my job, I, we, my newspaper has something like 6,000 subscribers, but the people I'm hearing feedback from are mostly people who are leaving Facebook comments on our Facebook page. That's not that many people. And, I, but I'm hearing from those voices. I'm not hearing from our 6,000 passive subscribers who probably do have thoughts, but they're just choosing not to share them on social media. So I'm not seeing them. Well, that's the old, um, I, I, it's the old Colin Coward theory when back when he used to take calls, he said they did studies and had data that showed that less than 5% of their listeners have ever even attempted to call into the show. Right. So you can't overemphasize or extrapolate, you know, the, the small tiny percentage of people who are, who are calling into your show with what your greater audience thinks. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, and, but that's all that we can go by. Right. I, we're not going to survey those people's thoughts. Just like I'm not going to, if I write an article for voiceofwrestling.com, the people whose comments I'm going to see in it are people who usually respond to it on social media. Um, there could be a thousand people who read it and had different thoughts about it, but if they're not sharing them with me, I'm not going to see them. Just the, that's the way right. communication works. Um, but I think all of that is in play. Um, and I think that the most prominent voices in wrestling, criticism, lack credibility which kind of sets the standard for what other people are going to say i think people like dave and i don't think dave lacks credibility but we kind of just i kind of discussed what i think has, has happened with dave's analysis um that have kind of changed i think the way he and approaches. on top of that 
And on top of that, there's certainly an army of people who, for whatever reason, want to chip away at Dave's credibility. Right. And that, and, and, and that impacts, and it works. And that impacts and the general public's ability to, to, to appreciate Correct. in their perception of Dave Meltzer. I think everyone, you know, many of the other loud voices in wrestling media, um, whether it's your Jim Cornettes or your Eric Bischoffs or even like your Sean Ross apps for very different reasons, um, don't have the same level of credibility as like a Dave Meltzer has, or in Sean's case, I don't think I get the impression that Sean, um, and I totally understand this. Sean doesn't really want to be that super critical of aspects of pro wrestling, because I think there are aspects of his business that benefit from him being positive and he's running a business and he's running a patreon page and he's getting subscribers and i i i I don't i'm not really i'm not saying that as a criticism i'm just saying that as a i think that is um and i should say that and i should say that and i should say that like i don't listen to his his shows or anything so for all i know he is being very critical but here here's what you're trying to say sean's business is news let's be honest that's the bread and butter that's where they're making all their money and since the lifeblood of his business is news it is vital that he maintains relationships with the people that he is reporting on. And no, he cannot fire with all guns blazing the way that others can, because he has to be very careful with those relationships or it destroys his bread and butter. And that's, again, that's not me saying that I think Sean is being disingenuous with his opinions or, uh, or doing any of that. That's that's not what I'm saying. And I don't want people to take it that way. But I think that's essentially what you were just trying to say. Yeah, I think if you follow Sean, you follow kind of the fight, whether it's it's Sean's own personal, I think, Twitter feed or the, the fightful Twitter feed or whatever. It's very clearly that there's a, a genuinely positive emphasis on this is pro wrestling. It's fun. It's supposed to be this thing. And it's not looking at it in a super duper critical light. And that's, that's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it's no, that's all... not where they bread. That's not where they, yeah, their, there's they nothing the wrong. I want, yeah, I don't want to emphasize. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not providing, um, interesting, critical insights. Right. And again, we'll talk about the, who are the biggest names out there? Who besides Dave is really providing valuable, critical insights to pro wrestling on a weekly basis that has some level of of significant following um yeah. well well I'm, sir i'm not gonna wanna, yeah yeah so the flag, toot sure, my own horn here sure. but you know flagship sure pollock um in post wrestling okay but, but I, I don't want to get into a whole th- yeah, right right whether fine. whether you think of that what whether you whether you're agreeing, disagreeing, whatever, I think right, that there's right. there's there's at least an honest attempt at criticism. Sure. Uh, being that, okay, I'll give you yes. I'll give you, you know, that, yeah. different aspects of the torch. I think Wade, you know, Wade does share a lot of I think good fit. I, I don't always agree. I think I think Wade has had some kind of wild takes, but I do think Wade is making faiths in takes in 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 good faith and is offering constructive criticism. Let me tell you something about Wade Keller. He will shit on you and then set you on fire and walk away from the blaze. He ain't afraid. Yeah. And so there are some of those voices out there, but um, it does seem like it's it that it's not enough. And I do think that the 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 wrestling media the up and coming wrestling media 
is obsessed with access and too many of the people that are in the room, whether you go to those AW press scrums, those WWE press scrums, the, the younger people or the people who are just kind of breaking into the wrestling media business are, they just want to be fans or they, they want to maintain positive relationships with everybody. And they're not going to ask any really critical questions because they don't want to be critical of the wrestling product. And they don't want to be critical for all of the reasons I mentioned before. They don't want pushback. They don't want to hear from wrestlers or, or a promoter. They um, want to get the positive engagement going with, with people who are also, because it's an easy thing to kind of farm on social media if you're good at it. Um, all those things are in play. And I think, yes, you have some prominent older voices like Dave and Wade. Um, but I think that the, the younger generation is, I don't want to say lacking, but I just, I don't know if their perception of critical insight is, is going to be similar to like Dave and Wade's. I don't think it is. And I think that's a reflection of social media and the modern industry and how it's developed. Do you think there's anything to the idea that maybe younger generations are inherently less critical, um, Someone in our Discord, I don't remember who it was. They made an interesting point that really resonated there, with me. There are many brilliant people in the Discord. You know, they made a point that that resonated with me, and they were saying that, you know, and they're seeing this in other forms of entertainment outside of wrestling. It's just there, there's certain demographics that critique is seen, harsh critique, fair but harsh is seen as something bad. And then the idea of, well, people are trying their best. So we shouldn't be, that was the way they put it. And it really resonated with me. I do think there's an element of that. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's this, there's this whole idea of like, and I especially think about this when I think about um, whether it's like independent wrestling, um, people without a lot of experience or yeah, a good example is NXT 2.0, because there's a lot of people who really just don't have that much experience and the expectation for them to be good is it, has to be neutered in some way. Um, and whether or not, like, it's how fair is it to be really critical of somebody who has, like, under a year wrestling experience? Well, you could be critical to them in, in proportion to their, uh, right. To their, you could be critical to them in proportion to their experience, but at the same time, the way I view it is, if, if you're on national television, you're fair game as well. Yeah, no. and and that makes and that kind of complicates things in the sense of it like does. in the sense of like um let's let's let me pick like uh what's that what's a who's a good NXT person? Let's do let's do uh someone who's inexperienced but they're rushed to TV. Yeah, let's 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 do Sol Ruka. Or... Sol Ruka. Sol Ruka or or Brutus Creed or or Trick when or B, B Fab or yeah, yeah. somebody so, like so, that. So let's let's go with Sol Ruka. Like yeah. Okay, so if I were to compare Sol Ruka to, let's say, uh, Daniel Makabe, right? Right. Daniel Makabe has a lot, like, you know, I don't know, 20 years of experience as a professional wrestler um, yeah. and has had many, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of matches. And, but, you know, he's an independent wrestler. He's not on national television. Sol Ruka is on national television and is being pushed in a, in a much more prominent spot than Daniel Makabe is. Which person is should be more uh who should we be like more critical of? Because Dana Makabe really should 
be held to a higher standard because he's got way more experience. But Sol Ruka's in a way bigger position. And I think that's tricky on NXT 2.0 in general because of that. And should you be critical of somebody who's just really starting out? Because, and I, I know you're very fair about this. Like a lot of these people just shouldn't be on television because they have no experience. Right, right. And it, it shouldn't be, it'd be like, you know, if I was. But at the same time, they are on TV and I have to tell you if it stinks. Yeah. And, and ultimately here's my pushback to the idea of like, any form of criticism um, is negative. has to be viewed as a negative because everyone is trying their best, which for starters is not true. Some people are not putting in the effort. Right. Everyone is trying their best. Really? Wrestling's full of people who didn't work hard. Um, yeah. You know, in the right situation. But also, it's very unnatural to assume that people aren't being critical of something. Everyone is critical of things all the time. The, 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 the fan that's watching NXT 2.0 they go out there and Sol Ruka sticks out, stinks out the joint and botches all these moves and looks terrible. They're sitting at home and they're like, wow, this wrestling match was not good. This person was not good. That's, that's what people are thinking when they're watching something. Everyone yeah. is critical, whether or not they choose to voice that criticism in a public way, whether it's recording a podcast where they rip them apart or sending out a tweet where they say something negative about that or writing a column where they say Sol Ruka stinks. The fact is, the regular average person is making that critical judgment. And so in my mind, it's always fair to voice that opinion. Yeah, and I think it, all, it circles back to as long as you're being fair and coming from a well-informed place. Yeah, and you're willing to you know, establish credibility with your name or whatever so that if you know, Sol Ruka improves a lot and you say, you know what, Sol Ruka, she's improved a lot. I think she's way better than she was when I first saw her in that match six months ago. Then it actually means something because people know and they'll say, oh, you know, Jesse Collins, he said that Sol Ruka was bad and now he he's he swung on her. That must mean, you know, her that gives more evidence to her momentum is on the rise and she has improved. As opposed to if I was just, you know, clap emoji, Sol Ruka, yes. That right. means nothing. Right. Um, but is it a fan's job? to be critical on social media or is or you can you just you know I don't it's have not a problem. it's not a fan's job it's no one's real job to be critical on social media but i think inherently there's a reliance on criticism to shape the industry and to improve the industry if no one was critical of anything ever then the wrestling business would never ever change yeah um at one point somebody was like John Cena is not good. He's overrated and WWE pushes him too hard. And that led to this whole phenomenon where half the fan base hated John Cena. If everyone was just like, oh, we can't criticize John Cena because he's working as hard as he can. And John Cena, I do think, was working as hard as he can. That guy was a complete workhorse for that company in a way that I don't think people appreciate. Uh, certainly didn't appreciate in his time. In his time. Um, but then, then, then the dynamic around John Cena would be totally different. If, if, you know, 1997 WWF, everyone was like, oh, you know, we can't criticize all, you know, Kevin Nash or, or, or I mean, I guess this is pre 1997, but we can't criticize Kevin Nash or, or Mabel because they're all trying their hardest. And then maybe, you know, the business isn't the same. Steve Austin maybe doesn't get the kind of pushing he gets. It's 
ridiculous to assume that you can't do that. Um, but I do think that there's something to the general mentality of being resistant to all criticism because they feel like it's a personal attack on somebody when it's not. It's 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 if somebody is these are people that are participating in a performing art. And yeah, they're absolutely fair game. I, yeah, I they're then, absolutely fair. When game. I was in college, um, there, uh, you know, we had a. I was on the school newspaper, and we had an arts and entertainment section, and we had someone who wrote columns, and they reviewed, you know, one of the plays that the school theater company had produced, and they were not super positive about the play, and. All these people, the theater kids were who um, theater people are, are naturally very dramatic. So it's always seems like it's the worst thing in the world to be critical of them. And they were super upset about how the school paper could write something. And this person doesn't know what they're talking about. They're trying to destroy our theater by saying this play wasn't good. And it was like, dude, you guys are doing a performing art. People are allowed to be critical of it. You're you're doing this, you know, if you guys want to be professional actors, which is what you're training to be in college, you have to be responsive, be able to respond to criticisms. You may not like them. You may think that the person's full of shit, but that's part of being an actor. It's part of being yeah. part of the perform performing arts. Um, And that's just something that people have to deal with if they're upset about it. You know, that's tough. People are critical of my columns. People can be critical of my podcasts. I understand that. And yeah. if and I've had people say, oh, Jesse Collins is so stupid. Jesse Collins doesn't know what he's talking about. I have a lot of confidence in my work. So I tend to laugh that stuff off. Um, but they have the right, every right to say that. And I don't know, people can be dramatic about it. People, I think there's like, especially if you're like an independent wrestler or something like that, there's the idea of if someone in a, a wrestling media, a prominent wrestling media position says something about you, they'll, they can be dramatic and say, this person is trying to destroy my career. Or this person is trying to undermine me. I don't really think anyone in wrestling media has the power to destroy a career um, based on criticism of someone's work. Um. But I think in well, general, what, what wrestlers, what some wrestlers like to do as well is if they see a criticism that they don't like, fair or unfair, they know that they have the high grounds in terms of social media where absolutely. If, they, if they quote tweet that their fans are going to brigade and and pile on and make that person's life hell who lobbied that criticism. And, you know, um on a much, much smaller scale back when I was still on the voice wrestling Twitter account. At some point I realized I had that kind of power too. again, on a much smaller scale. And I stopped quote tweeting random people, even if they were assholes, because it was like, this is, it's, it's an unfair game and they're allowed to criticize me. And I know that the people who like my show and the people who follow our account, are going to just you know ruin their day for half a day. So yeah. I stopped doing it. But some wrestlers absolutely will take advantage of that power that they have. Well, which again you. speaks to your point of stifling criticism. Well, I mean and this wasn't a, a criticism aspect but um you know I think it was last week, you know, Matt Cardona calls out Nick Houseman telling him uh you know, he called he called out Nick Houseman basically saying that Houseman wanted to interview him back in October but only wanted to ask him about clickbait stuff. And now 
Nick Houseman wanted him to, to to be interviewed on on his new, you know, the House of Wrestling, his new kind of venture. And, uh, you know, Cardona tags Nick in this post that he blasts out to his Twitter followers. And I don't know how many Twitter followers Cardona has. I think he has over a million. And, you know, Houseman responds sharing emails that Cardona sent to him. And, and in the emails, I think that Houseman conducts himself perfectly professionally. Um. And honestly, and there's absolutely nothing in those emails that show that, you know, Nick was unprofessional or Nick was deserved any form of ridicule, ridicule or pushback from Cardona. But that doesn't matter because Cardona has one million Twitter followers and they're naturally going to side with the famous wrestler and not the wrestling journalist who writes for a dirt sheet or whatever the general impression those people have about the wrestling media. Um and that's a tough gig. It's tough to have when a when a wrestler calls you out like that because they have the high ground, as you mentioned, and they have the followers to, you know, put some pressure on you to to, to not criticize them. I'm I'm going to tell you that when that situation first blew when Car- when I first saw Cardona's tweet where he said whatever it is he had to say, my brain sided with Cardona, and I wondered, hmm. I wonder if, the, you know, I, I just thought Nick must have really. But then when Hausman posted the emails, I was like, wait a minute. Cardona's the one out of line here. So that goes to show you it works. Because if Hausman hadn't responded and defended himself, to this day, I would still be thinking that Hausman was the one who was wrong in that scenario. And Cardona decided to air him out publicly for it. But when I saw both sides of the story, it was very obvious that Cardona was in the wrong and Hausman was nothing but professional with him every step of the way. So that shows you that that works. And these wrestlers know, and look, they're, they're professional workers. They understand. And I think it's destructive. What's destructive to criticism and what's destructive to media are when wrestlers uh, target attacks towards specific journalists or reporters or, when wrestlers constantly refer to the entire wrestling media as dirt sheets. And I think that shit has got to go. It's, it's, it, it's, it's that this 1970s mindset has got to go because to me, that's very destructive to not just criticism, but reporting and, you know, the truth and news. And I think a lot of these wrestlers who do that know exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's uh, it's 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 systematic, and it's something that they're they 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 know what the end result's going to be. They want to create distrust between wrestling fans and wrestling media. So, and and we've seen it work. You know, we talked earlier about Meltzer. I think Meltzer. I think a lot of people have successfully chipped away at Dave Meltzer's reputation. You know, and, and With- Dave doesn't help himself a lot of the time, but I think people have successfully help chip away at Dave's reputation. It, it, it absolutely works. And yeah. I don't know what to do to push back on it because yeah, I, it's like we said, they have the higher ground and, and with the, with I, the, I don't know what you do about it. You know, with the exception of perhaps yourself, like I really, nobody I think has been more critical about the wrestling media in, at large than myself. And but I am very against the idea, and I don't like it when people say, like, oh, all wrestling media sucks. All these guys are liars. All that. I'm like, oh, you know what? There are a lot of people that are in wrestling media that I think don't take the job that seriously, and it hurts the reputation. 
um, of, of wrestling media in general. But the idea that every single person should be dismissed because wrestling media inherently is, is, is you know, um, disreputable is very upsetting to me. Yeah, because absolutely. It's completely undermining the hard work that the people who do it right are doing and the people who deserve to be trusted get trusted. And it's kind of, you know, it's easy to dunk on a lot of these people that have bad takes and, you know, don't ask good questions in the press conference and things like that. But we have, there has to be a level of respect and um, accreditation given to the people who are doing, getting things right and people who are trying to make an honest effort of it. Cause that's all we have. You know, at minimum, this- we got to, we got at minimum, we got to have each other's backs and defend each other when people inside the business try to play that game. Right. And a lot of people, because it's a business and it's a competition, some people will be happy to lean mm-hmm. into those criticisms if they think or it can just undermine be, or just stay quiet because it, 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 it's beneficial to them. Oh, okay. Everyone's piling on this guy. Well, he's a direct competitor of mine. I'm, I'm not not okay with that i'm just gonna sit here and mind my business it's none of my business to begin with and you know i on one hand i understand that on the other hand it's hurting everyone right i mean it like hurts like everyone like the cm punk brawl out press conference and and you know in the aftermath everyone is entirely focused and rightfully so on the fight and the things he said about the young bucks and the things he said about hangman page and all of those other things he said but I I I made a point to point out. I was like, the way CM Punk went after the wrestling media, a lot of the people who work very hard to get things right, uh, was completely uncalled for. And I wanted to make it feel like I I I am I have everyone in that room's back for a, a wrestler just trying to completely destroy the credibility of whether it's Nick Houseman or Dave or Brian or anyone else in that room that Punk was just completely inappropriate towards. You know, Punk started that presser by being like, which one of you, who here considers himself a real journalist? Like the biggest fucking asshole thing you can say. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, you know, he tried he tried to sneak attack Nick Houseman by saying he was friends with Cole Cabana or whatever. Um but I wanted to put out, I was like, you know, that CM Punk was completely unprofessional and everyone should be calling him out for that. And I know it was lost in all the crazy other things he said that night. But that was yeah. something I wanted to point out, which was, you know, the wrestlers, you're right about like, we have to have each other's back. You know, even if you disagree with someone, even if you don't necessarily like someone, because um, that's bullshit. I, I, I um, there was a, I don't know if I want to bring, I'll bring this up because I don't really care. The, a couple weeks ago, uh, the, the people over at Wrestle Purists had like, a, they had Raj Giri on uh, Twitch, uh, Twitter space, I think is what it's a called. Twitter space. I was yeah. on the space. So I, I okay. yeah, you I was a there. listener, a listener. Yeah. Yeah. And they like, they had, you know, Raj on and uh, Raj said something like, I, I've got, you know, I've got something to tell you guys, but I'll tell it off air. Um, which is obviously something Raj didn't want to say on air. And the Russell Purist guys were like, oh, okay, don't worry. We'll wrap up the show. And they did like a whole like, okay, thanks for watching, folks. Um, all right, we're going to be off the air. Thanks. Tune in next time. And they did like a whole fake sign off. And then Raj is like, okay, we're off the air. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then Raj, I even forget what he said, but he said something about, you know, uh, it's not the point you're making anyway. The yeah. point is that he was deceived, right? He was deceived. And then, and then people were using it as a way to like make fun of Raj. Like, Oh, he said this thing. Ha ha ha. And, 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 you know, I, I said, I said, this is one of the most ridiculous, lowest things I've ever seen anyone in wrestling media do, which is pretend trick somebody and pretend that you're, you're off air on Twitter space. So you can get them to say something that they clearly didn't want to say on air. And I mean, talk about journalistic malpractice. Uh, it, it like, and it's like, I don't agree with what Raj says all the time. I think he says plenty of things I totally disagree with. He knows that. Um, but the fact that somebody did that and the fact that a lot of people thought it was okay. And when I pointed out on Twitter, I said, this is completely unacceptable. You know, people were dunking on me and the Russell Pierce people were all mad at me for, for calling them out. Uh, but I was like, this is, you know, like that, that's, that's absurd that someone would try to do that. Uh, and I think it's important to point that out. Uh, and uh, this is kind of straying away from our criticism point, but I do, I do think it's important to kind of, uh, I think if we want to, if people want to maintain credibility with their criticism, we need to have a credible wrestling media and the wrestling media working against itself to discredit itself with tactics like that is unacceptable and needs to be improved. Well, I can't find a way to disagree with you. Do you think that um, this is totally different? But I think, do you think that people? I think there's a there's a major problem with women's wrestling. It's 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 true. It's it's true for all wrestling, but I think particularly with women's wrestling, I think people are afraid to criticize women's wrestlers um, for a number of reasons. But the number one being that I think people have closer parasocial attachments to those wrestlers. Um. And that leads to whether it's stand culture, people swarming after you for criticizing them, or just people perhaps feeling like, uh, I don't want to criticize a woman's wrestler because it might come across as misogynistic. Um, do you think that plays a role in all, I think, in kind of making that a more toxic space? Because that's often where I see a lot of the pushback towards criticism is regarding women's wrestlers. Everything um, you just said is true. And a contributing factor. And what I would like to know, I look, I and I don't know if that's dissimilar to other uh um forms of entertainment. I mean, would a would a music critic, would somebody who works for I don't know, pitchfork or rolling stone or mm -hmm. something, would they be gun shy in criticizing a K-pop album? Because I don't know if those those fans are rabid. They're they're Sasha stands times a million. I mean, you know, because they're afraid that, you know, they're going to get doxxed and their address is going to be put out there. And I, I don't know if that happened. I, I assume that it, it does, but I mean, yeah, that's sort of the same idea of what goes on in wrestling when it comes to women's wrestling, I think. Yeah. So you're right. I think that, um, I, I'm not sure exactly. I think, Women's wrestling in the United States is held to a much lower standard than men's wrestling. Well, if you're referring to the curve, uh, once again, Jesse, uh, I'm not going to disagree, but I'm going to give you the floor so you can get destroyed on this one. Go ahead. No, it just it, it just is. Women's wrestling is not held to the same standard as men's wrestling in this country. Um, and there's actually a very good and logical reason for that, and that's because women's wrestling has historically, and women wrestlers have not been presented with the same level of opportunity as men's wrestlers have in this country women's wrestlers careers are much shorter 
women's wrestlers are off have historically not been pushed after they turn like 35, which is the complete opposite of men's wrestlers who tend to peak after they turn 35. Uh, there's less women, women to wrestle each other, which means less diversified experience, which means that you're not going to develop at the same pace as an in-ring performer. If you can only work with the same few opponents, as opposed to men who can excursion around the world and do and, and wrestle various different styles, it's much more difficult for women to do that. Um, Women's wrestling, even more so than men's wrestling, has historically prioritized looks over uh, over ability or or charisma or anything like that, which has you know hurt development and to this day still hurts development. If you look at who WWE thinks could be a big star and who they don't, it's not necessarily based on wrestling talent. It's often based on aesthetics, um, and all of those things are contributing factors that I think have kept women's wrestling. Um, to a, a, has prevented women's wrestling from establishing itself at the same standard as men's wrestling. And what that does is it makes people, I think, more hesitant to criticize women's wrestling, again, because the standard is lower. And, you know, a woman's match that is bad is going to be handled with, I think, kid gloves more than a men's match that's going to be bad because most of the time, it's going to be inex more inexperienced women in the ring. I think this is true a lot in, you know, WWE's main roster, I think, is 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 criticized kind of at the same rate as I think the woman of the men's, men's side. For just looking at the women and men's side of the main roster, I think it's pretty, I don't think there's any special treatment given to the main roster women's wrestlers. And that's largely because the main women's women, the main roster women's wrestlers in WWE are very experienced wrestlers. The biggest, you know, the biggest stars all have about a decade or more of experience. Um, or someone like Bianca Belair, who doesn't quite have that experience, but is, you know, regarded as being a very good wrestler. Same with Ray Ripley. I think NXT women's roster is because it has almost, you know, the, the lack of experience on that end. People are way more hesitant to criticize that aspect of it because they're all rookies. AEW, very similar in the sense that AEW has a lot of inexperienced women that they put out in matches, and the matches are often not very good. But again, people are hesitant because it's not just that they're trying, it's that they aren't experienced at the same rate. And I think the hesitancy for criticism maybe plays a role in preventing people from developing at the proper rate. I don't, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but I think I agree with everything you just said, except maybe with that last part. I, I don't know if that's true. Either. It's hard I, to prove, right? It's hard. But if we're like, if, if everyone, if, if there's, if everyone is like, this is great, or everyone is afraid to criticize a young female wrestler whether it's an AEW wrestler or NXT wrestler or someone on the independents. Um, is that hampering their developments in any way? I guess I with the bigger companies, a lot of it would have to do with what is the eternal feedback that they're getting. And that is, you know, are coaches at NXT hesitant to criticize work? Or is an agent in AEW hesitant to criticize work? Would play a much bigger factor than the, than the public's ability to criticize them in terms of talent development. I think on the independence, the public's uh, you know ability to criticize makes a bigger bigger deal. 
But again, on the independence, it's it's hard because women a woman's wrestler on the independence is pretty rare, which is why the same few women's wrestlers on the independence tend to get booked absolutely everywhere because they're rare, because there are less women wrestling, which again impacts the standard. Yeah, there's less women's wrestlers, period. Yeah, but especially the lower you go. Yeah, absolutely. But um, no, I agree with everything you said. There's absolutely a curve. And I think you gave the reasons for why the curve exists. And you can make the case like in Japan, this isn't the same because Japan has a much more historical yeah, standard. Their own promotions that are were at times more successful than the men's promotions. All of that is it's the history. Yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of people really understand like how bad women's wrestling was in the United States up until like 10 years ago. I like, think anyone who, who was around at that time understands, but um, I don't think people have the proper perspective in like women's wrestling in general has had to kind of create an entirely new structure for what women's wrestling is over the last 10 years. Well, thank God for Stephanie McMahon for inventing right. women's wrestling. That is true. Yeah. But but to give WWE credit. Yeah, the, they get the credit, but Stephanie tried to. Right. No, I know. <laughs> I know. But I know, I know you're doing a bit. But like to give WWE credit, they took it seriously. To, and that has had a positive influence on other other companies having to take it seriously and being put in the position to bring in talent but i mean it really wasn't that long ago where the ww women's division like for starters you go back did the when was when when was the women's title brought back for good was it like 1998 1999 because, Post Alundra Blaze, you mean? Right, but there's a period of time where like the Alundra Blaze experiments and those wrestlers are kind of all yeah. released and killed off, and then they bring it back like once they need to put something stable to do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about like 1998. Yeah, attitude. Okay. So that's really like, and that's not that long ago. That's 25 years ago. That is the real starting point for women's wrestling in this country. Again. Um, there was women's wrestling here and there, but really that's the starting point. And for, you know, at least like 15 to 20 years after that, you really just had WWE women's wrestling, which was a fitness model with implants that's had a couple of lessons and is out there doing, you know, you know, kind of comedy spots, striptease spots, things like that. Maybe they teach them to do a few moves. But that's largely the standard women's wrestling. People can point to Trita, uh, Trita. Can you believe that? I just called them Trita. Trish and Lita. Uh, ah, you at, combined them. You yeah, you combined them. But people will point to Trish and Lita doing like a um, a seven-minute match. And that's, you know, the standard. That was an amazing thing to happen that they did a seven-minute match. And then it really isn't. A, and that was really the standard for years and years and there's different incarnations it really isn't until like you know you can point to like the late 2000s tna pushes maybe a more athletic more serious style of women's wrestling um and then of course kind of wwe taking it more seriously in the mid to late 2000 2010s but really that's when like it starts and so 
a lot of every other wrestling company has to catch up and there's just not a base for that kind of talent. And I think, um, anyway, this is getting pretty long. Um, I, I'm getting off topic, but I think and just in general, when it comes to women's wrestling, I think because the standard has been kind of shifted so much in recent years, people are more hesitant to apply. criticism. Yeah. You, you nailed, you nailed a lot of the reasons. And the last reason is people want women's wrestling to succeed very badly. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that as a negative. I think people want to see women's wrestling succeed badly. So I think that cushions some of the criticisms as well, you know, in, in certain ways where you, where people wouldn't hesitate to bury the men. Yeah. And it's also like, if, like, if we're talking about women fans and we're talking about different, you know, people who are really into women's wrestling and maybe not as much into men's wrestling, it kind of makes sense for the standard that they have to be different than the standard that they have for men's wrestling because they may be into it for very different reasons. They may be watching the wrestling product, women's wrestling, for a more reality show like vibe than maybe, you know, you and I are watching pro wrestling because we want to see people wrestle like Stan Hansen. Without question. And that makes sense. Um, but uh, I think we're going to wrap that up here. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to say? Anything you want to plug there, Joe? Just the plugs. Flagship podcast. Usually on Thursday nights. You can listen live if you're a subscriber on Patreon on the $10 tier. If not, it hits your podcast feed, wherever it is you listen to podcasts, generally on Friday afternoon, American Eastern time, somewhere around 11 a.m. to uh, to noonish on Fridays if you want to listen to the, uh, the free feed. And um, if you are someone who's never listened to the show, you know, give us a shot. And I think if you enjoy Jesse's audio, you would certainly enjoy ours. Uh, we may be a little more abrasive and aggressive in our opinions, but listen, that's our style. And uh, and uh, what you will get, as we talked about here today, is uh, honest, unfiltered uh, opinions with no hot takes. Yes. So, yeah, that's about it. Yes. No, this is uh, the, a lot of the criticisms that we leveled at, 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 you know, wrestling criticism do not apply to the flagship. But you guys do stand out as one of the few. And I think the, basically the whole reason that I think you guys have been so successful um, with gaining a following of people is because there's a real absence of kind of what you bring to the table as far as being honest and being willing to be critical about everything and also being willing to admit that you're wrong. Um, yeah. Which there's yeah. surprisingly very few people in wrestling that are willing to do that. And I also want to shout out Rich, Rich Krejci on the behind the paywall um, on the flagship wrestling Patreon page wrote an excellent kind of recap history of the Chikara shutdown angle um from 10 years ago which really brought back a lot of memories of you know how i became a fan of independent wrestling and chikara was really the promotion that i started watching it's really because they toured uh in the boston area so they're like the first indie you know the first real you know indie wrestling shows that i went to were chikara shows around that time period too so it brought back a lot of memories and uh really interesting stuff i think there's a lot more to explore with that but it's a really good article i think people should check that out um but thanks a lot joe for for being on the show appreciate you again i'm gonna see if adam burgers can be on the show again in the future so he can he can join you in the three-time uh guest club um we'll, we'll see if anyone else joins the club but i really appreciate you joining the show 
Alec Baldwin, 17, Steve Martin, 15, John Goodman, 13. There you really? go. Yeah, I'm really curious to know when the last time Goodman hosted the show was. It could have been recently. I don't really pay that close attention to SNL. I thought Tom Hanks was up there. Like Hanks was like a big time. Uh, He's on the, the top show. 10. He has not. He has nine appearances. He's in the top 10. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. So Steve Martin, 17. That's that's pretty impressive. Because that's like that's like one every two years. It's Baldwin seventeen, Steve oh, Martin Baldwin 15. seventeen. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks a lot to all the listeners out there. We appreciate it again. Really, really positive feedback, uh, both for the most recent episode with Case Low, and then the previous episode I had with Garrett Kidney, um, talking about the history and legacy of of TNA Impact Wrestling. Really appreciate all the positive feedback that everyone's been giving towards the show. I hope. That continues with this episode. We'll see. I'll see what the feedback is, and that will that will imply whether Joe can 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 appear on the, uh, the show for the fourth time and 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 you know put himself well ahead of, of any of any rivals. But we'll see about that. Um, but thanks a lot. Appreciate everyone, and I'll see you all again next time. Hi, I'm Case Low, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.